What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand. On Apple Podcasts, search Hangout in the Holy Land. We are there. Subscribe, leave reviews, all that good stuff. And we are on Twitter, at HolyLandPod. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you on Sunday, September 23rd, 2018, from Oakland, California. And as always, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, what is good, my friend? Man, I'm doing well. Buckeyes are 4-0. It was, a, it was a fun weekend of college football. Stayed up to watch Hawaii play an FCS team uh, for some reason. Watched Oklahoma barely beat Army on some guy's television on Twitch. I think it was a it was a good week. It was a good weekend. Not a ton to talk about from the Ohio State game. No, don't play option teams on the <laughs> on the OU note. Don't play Army. Don't play Navy. And it's a bad idea. Tulane, I guess. Yeah, Tulane is in that same vein, and we're going to talk about Ohio State's win over Tulane, forty nine to six, this past Saturday, and what it meant. Uh, but first of all, I think the the biggest thing today was the report by Ari Wasserman about Ryan Day and let's let's get into that real quick before we talk about the game and basically if you haven't seen this report yet it's that a source is telling him that Ohio State is discussing a plan to make offensive coordinator co-offensive coordinator Ryan Day the head coach in waiting Day of course coached the first three games for Ohio State with Urban Meyer on suspension and resumed his normal duties this week but I guess just, just diving into it, we don't have to spend a, a ton of time on this before we break down what happened on Saturday. What uh, did you think about this report? And then I know Gene Smith came out afterwards and didn't really issue a denial or really say, yeah, this is what we're doing. It was more just like, hey, we're happy with Urban Meyer and, and what he's doing. But this definitely seems like a, a plausible and realistic scenario. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly it, – it was not the – the report was not that Ohio State was promoting Ryan Day to head coach in waiting, which is not even a thing. It's not a real thing. Like it's a behind doors thing where you pay a guy more money to keep doing the same thing he was doing, and it's just implied that he doesn't leave. And when the coach ahead of him does retire or leaves, he'll be the coach. But it's not an official position. I I, I saw some people. I saw some Buckeye fans. There were some Buckeye fans in our mentions that were very upset about about this whole thing, this whole report. Um, and I, I think that a lot of that comes from uh, people in Columbus and people that are Ohio State fans really like Urban Meyer. They, um, you know, he's won a lot of games here, and when a coach wins a lot of games at Ohio State, he's generally well liked. And I think the <clears throat> the report kind of brought up thoughts of. Um, intentionally or unintentionally, I, I really don't think that Ari was trying to to stir anything up with this. I think he was just doing his job. And um, but it, it brought up ideas in people's minds that Urban Meyer might be being pushed out soon, or that he might be retiring soon. I don't think that's what it means. I, I really uh, this is stressed in the original report, and I, I think I believe it that um, Urban is not really on his way out or anything. This is just. Ohio State would really like to keep Ryan Day around for Urban Meyer for when Urban Meyer is gone, whenever that may be. If that's three years from now, if that's next year, whenever that may be, and they're gonna give him more money to try and do that so that he doesn't go take like the USC job or any other number of head coaching jobs that he'll be offered this off season. I I think that this is really 
just Ohio State trying to secure what seems to be a future star in the coaching world, and that's fine. I, I think that's fine to me. O- Ohio State has had a, a really long line of good coaches, and I don't see any issue with them trying to lock up the next one. And I, I really I, I understand why where the worries come from from Buckeye fans about this, and coach and waiting situations don't always work, and a lot of times they end up pushing out the current coach. But I think Ryan Day is a really good coach. I think that if that is the case, he's worth keeping around. Um, I, I think that he is the the stability of the future kind of hinges on Ryan Day being here. And obviously, Ohio State could get a good coach with or without Ryan Day. But I think that he would be able to carry over what Urban Meyer has been doing at Ohio State better than any possible replacement. Um, and I think that Ohio State realizes that too. And that's kind of the point of this whole thing. So I, I think I'm fine with it. Yo, if Urban Meyer wasn't pushed out after the last like three months, it's <laughs> yeah. they're not just going to be like, hey, we're <laughs> sick of you. You're you're out of here. So I, I think that Urban Meyer, and he's kind of hinted at this. I, I don't think in his mind he's really close to wanting to be done or wanting to walk away. This is his last stop, and I think he's going to milk everything he can out of it and th- there really isn't any sign of him slowing down as a high level coach and I'm with you I think that if they can keep Ryan Day around for as long as possible even if that's for another year or two and then he goes somewhere else but they get some strong offensive slash quarterback recruits out of it like it can work multiple ways for Ohio State without him just being the head coach but ultimately if he is the next guy I'm with you I think that that's the uh, the smoothest transition between whenever this era ends in what the next one is because we've seen other schools not get so lucky as Ohio State has been really since John Cooper so they've really been in their own class here and and we'll see this is more of a long-term play of how this happened so something interesting to watch out for but as we talked about I, I don't know if there's really any tangible stuff to take away from this at least right now but just it's something to look at going forward but in terms of on the field in the coaching situation Urban Meyer of course was back this past week for the Tulane game his first time on the sidelines in 2018 against Tulane before we get into the X's and O's of the game did you think things were any different this seems like it was really the perfect game for him to come back I think that if it was Penn State it would have been a fiasco and it would have been a lot focused on this but this game was kind of tucked away on Big Ten Network and against a team like Tulane there really wasn't as much hoopla as I kind of thought there would be to it yeah I mean we we talked about in the preview podcast about how he wanted to be more of a game manager and I, I think that our expectations coming into this game that we wouldn't really learn much from it in you know, regards to him being a game manager. I think that was pretty true. Ohio State was going to play Tulane the way they were going to play Tulane regardless of who the head coach on the sidelines was. And I, I do I, I do agree that it was a good game for him to to come back and get kind of worked back into the flow of things and, you know, it it just comes down to Tulane's not a very good team, and we'll we'll learn a lot more about if there is any kind of issue for Ohio State having a, a different head coach for the first three games when Ohio State goes to play Penn State next week, and we'll we'll talk about that quite a bit in the uh, the preview podcast. That that should be a hefty one, but really not. I don't think we can really take much from this because it's just you know Ohio State is a better team than Tulane, and we knew that they were just gonna you know beat up on them. 
And I don't think that Urban Meyer was was going to interfere with that, regardless of you know how the game went, because it was going to be a blowout pretty much regardless. The only thing that I think I'm really taking away from this game, and and something we referenced in the preview for this game, was we are we have a I think a pretty solid sample size, at least in terms of of college football, and just you know you only have 12 to. 15 if you're that good games so it's hard to take away a ton but I I think through four games this is really the first time that it dawned on me that this is a passing offense and this is an offense that's built around Dwayne Haskins and what they can do at wide receiver and I know that may sound kind of stupid based off of what happened against TCU but I, I still think at the core of this Ohio State wants to have a running game that can be punishing and at least through four games, and I don't know if this will change in, in Big Ten play, it's really not. And I, I think the strength of this team, not just the offense, but the, the team as a whole, is what they can do throwing the ball. And it's just very interesting to see Ohio State, not even just from like, hey, we're going to switch up the X's and O's of the passing game and the difference between Dwayne Haskins and what we saw from JT Barrett for four seasons, but just the overall identity of the team even with Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins back, this has really changed, and it's been, a, I think, a big shift. And I don't know why I felt that watching this game. Maybe it was because they just kept throwing early in the game and games in the past like this, they have just run the ball. But, man, it, it just felt like a total difference, and maybe it'll switch after this year with Haskins. But I, I think that it's just odd seeing Ohio State have this identity. But it's for the best. Yeah, I think that... Um, I... The, the rushing attack, I think we really expected to be very good this season. Obviously, when you return two guys like J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, you expect a lot <laughs> from them. And it's they certainly, I think they've been fine through four games. But like we, we were talking about this in the Slack room yesterday during the game. The rushing attack has not really been dominant this year at any point. They had 38 carries for 151 yards, yeah. and I know that they've they've done that at times in the Michigan State game or some of the tougher games that they played at the end of 2016, but against a team like Tulane, they haven't – I mean, they really looked like they were grinding out for yards, and maybe they were just keeping it simple with Penn State next week, but nothing really came easy, and there wasn't a ton that came easy – against TCU last week either JK Dobbins had to work for a lot of his yardage there wasn't a ton of just open holes and that's just odd to see because we've seen basically all throughout Myers tenure here is dominating physical offensive lines that can get push and I know the numbers were different sack adjusted wise when you look at rushing but just like overall they averaged 3.9 yards per carry and that's the lowest since the Clemson game in 2016 so just crazy to see that from this offense yeah I don't think that this should be taken as something to really be worried about either I, I think that the rushing attack is fine it'll probably be fine all season long I'm really not super concerned about it I mean we know that they're talented but the longest carry of the game was 19 yards <laughs> that was Tate Martell uh, the next longest was Demario McCall, and that was 15. Um, we'll, we'll talk about him for 30, for mm, four hours, about how good he was um, and how Demario should be freed. But the starting running backs, longs of 10 and 9 yards, that's really not great. Um, and it feels like they haven't been making a ton of big plays this season. I don't remember one big running play from either one of the starters, like a big breakaway touchdown. 
um, to this point this season, and I might just be remembering poorly, but it really doesn't feel like they've had that explosive edge to the rushing attack, and I, I think that a lot of that can be chalked up to the fact that they can pass the ball now, and uh, there's really no reason to be trying to create play, big plays on the ground. But I think a lot of it is that this offensive line just isn't all that good. <laughs> I, I think that Dwayne Haskins makes the offensive line look a lot better than they would have in years past with someone like JT Barrett, who took a little bit more time in the pocket um, because Dwayne Haskins gets the ball out so quickly. But I really don't think that this offensive line is as good as the ones in years past, especially when it comes to um, opening up holes for the running game. And that I think that that's the biggest cause of not even really the struggles just the, uh, the the sluggishness a little bit from the the running game I, I think that that's a direct result of the interior line specifically not being particularly good and not getting a ton of push or really opening up huge holes and I think that that's been the main cause of Mike Weber's struggles because um, he's he's the kind of back that really needs some space to operate and once he gets going is when he's dangerous and J.K. Dobbins has had a better start because he's able to dance around in the, in the backfield a little bit and make some plays with his his quickness and his patience but this this offensive line just isn't there yet I, I think that they'll get better as the season goes on but if there's one thing that's really causing the the lack of rushing game explosiveness outside of just play calling, I, I think it's probably the line. That's the good news about this is I think that they have the capacity to get better and they're only four games through the season. And even if they stumble a little bit against Penn state, they still have six other games to, to get better. And I think they will. There's a lot of young guys. And even with Haskins, he's still a young quarterback and he's playing at such a high level, but he's only going to improve as he sees more playing time and, Despite the fact that it was against a team like Tulane, I, I really think that he's the talking point of not only this game, but of this season so far. He was 21 of 24, averaged 10 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, 304 yards passing. And I know that we've really just beaten this to death ever since the offseason, but uh, he's just special to watch. And some of the throws that he was able to make, the the deep touchdown pass to Paris Campbell, those are just things, even the back shoulder throw to Austin Mack, these are throws that just have not existed in Ohio State's playbook, and they really don't exist in any team's college college football playbook either. And it's just it's so much fun to watch him play, and he's completing 75.7% of his passes right now. And I know that they've done a lot of swing passes, and especially with a guy like Campbell who had a very nice day. But even just down the field, the way he gets through his progressions, when he throws an incompletion, it's either he's throwing the ball away or he's getting hit or somebody's dropping a pass. He hasn't had many like miscommunications or just flat out missed a guy. And that's just super impressive to see from a player as young as he is. Yeah, Dwayne Haskins, it's really I think it's hard to to put into words how dominant he has been. Um, the the three misses that he had in this game came on a first down, a second and three, and a first down. So it wasn't even in situations that would hurt the offense. And that's just his efficiency, his arm talent, his anticipation. It's exceeded expectations, and expectations were very high coming into the season. I I cannot be more impressed with with Dwayne Haskins and 
Um, I think that that's really why I'm not too worried about the line or the running attack is that Dwayne Haskins is a star. He's a Heisman contender. He's, um, if not the best quarterback in the country, probably the second best um, behind Tua Tungavailoa at Alabama, who's also awesome. And um, speaking of of Alabama, I think it's it's kind of interesting how Ohio State and Alabama have have kind of made the same progressions offensively this season from years past of being more of a running power team to now lighting it up in the air and, and seemingly reaching a whole other level of, of dominance offensively. There's um, there's probably a, a connection to be made there, maybe in an article in the future of some sort. But I, I think that it's it's interesting that both teams kind of broke through at once, and it's certainly, on the Ohio State side, just delightful to watch. Dwayne Haskins is... Uh, I, I think I've had as much fun watching him play football as I have any Buckeye player really ever. He's he's dominant. Um, I really hope to to see that continue as a Buckeye fan. Obviously, I hope to see that continue uh, throughout the season. While I don't think that this pace is necessarily sustainable against better teams, um, he looked great against TCU. I think he'll look great against Penn State. I think he'll probably continue to be excellent throughout the season and uh, Ohio State fans should really really appreciate him while he's here because he's he's fantastic are we ready to be fully on board with Ohio State's receivers being really good yeah they're really good are, are we are we <laughs> yeah. gonna wait tell Penn State because this is the this is a huge test and I know that TCU's defense is probably a little bit better than Penn State maybe we look back at the Texas game that TCU just played and we reassessed that position and it's going to be a tough game in Happy Valley, so I still think they have something to prove. But I've I've said before, I think I said it last week, I've been trashing this group for the last three years, and they've been super excellent. I mean, all of them. Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell had a great game. K.J. Hill just continues to look like he is the best all-around receiver. Austin Mack was able to have another solid performance, had a great touchdown catch. Him and Haskins have a really nice role in the intermediate game. Uh, we didn't see a lot from Johnny Dixon, but these guys all just played their part. We saw a long Benjamin Victor touchdown. I'm super happy to see all of these players playing well and being able to contribute, even if they're not catching eight or nine passes a game. It seems like every week right now, somebody new is stepping up, and it's great to see Paris Campbell healthy, him have a big game, and I just I love what I see from them, and we'll see if they can keep it up against Penn State, and if they're able to, and they have a good day, then I think I'm fully on board with like, okay, this is this is a group that's one of the best in the country. Yeah, they, it feels like on each recap podcast so far this season, the star receiver has been, you know, we've we've talked about a different star receiver uh, of each game, and it really doesn't feel like Ohio State has had that in a long time, and I think a lot of that is quarterback play, but I, I think a lot of it is also that. These receivers are really good. They're they're coached well. Um, the play designs are good. <laughs> they're getting open. Uh, they're catching passes when the passes are thrown to them, save for the the issues that Austin Mack had last week that he seems to have gotten over. He had a really nice touchdown catch in the back of the end zone. Um, but this week it was Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell had a spectacular game. It was great to see him pull in a, a deep ball for a touchdown and um, I know that he worked pretty much all off season on that, on tracking the deep passes and being able to pull those in. And he he made it a little bit trickier on himself than he maybe needed to. He bobbled it a little bit, but he did come down with it, and that was really nice to see. But yeah, this this receiver group is really good. I think that it's it's fair to say that they're just good. Um, they're 
they're deep. They're all very, very solid. They can get open. They can catch passes when passes are thrown to them. Um, they're, it's a diverse group. There's a lot of different skill sets in here. you got guys like Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor who are a bit more of the um, downfield, make a play in the air receivers. you got guys like Paris Campbell who can catch the ball underneath and turn it into a big play. K.J. Hill who just catches everything. It's a really fun group. It's a really good group, and I'm super happy to see them breaking through. And I, I think that it's um, looking at this – uh, the on the stat broadcast it says that 14 receivers caught passes I think it was actually 13 but that's incredible <laughs> that that there were 13 different players that caught passes in this game and I don't um, I don't remember the last time that that happened at Ohio State I think that 13 total players um, had receptions last season and they hit 13 in this game um, saw guys like Jalen Gill getting involved Chris Olave came in there and had a nice catch um, I know Terry McLaurin had a really big block that, that sprung Paris Campbell on a bubble screen. He might have had two on that play. But it, it's just these guys are playing really, really well right now. They're playing well together. You can see them growing each week and getting better each week. And um, it's just it's a really exciting time. It, it's the Ohio State passing offense I don't think has ever been this efficient in, in the whole history of the program. And it's really, really fun to watch. Speaking of big blocks, Isaiah Prince almost killed that. Yeah, dude. he killed that he guy. Really, he put that guy in the dirt, man. Matt Millen mid-play like screamed out loud. He was like, "I have to show you this ah! play." And sure enough, he, he was right. He put him yeah. down. I don't know. I don't know if sitting on him afterwards was necessary, but hey, he got the job done. So shout out to Isaiah Prince for the big block. The only other um, thought I have on the offense, at least as it pertains to like the first string guys, was Mike Weber. Mike Weber, I, they said early in the game, he tweaked a knee or tweaked an ankle, something. He was a partial participant in warmups and then went out there, got a couple carries, caught a couple passes, and then was in street clothes by the end of the game. And it didn't really make a lot of sense why he was out there at all. So I, I didn't understand that. But other than that, that's really my only gripe with the offense. I thought that they kept it super vanilla. With the second string, I, I really don't think there's any takeaways from that group. It was cool to see Tate Martell get in there a bunch. I definitely had my like come to Jesus in my head that like, oh shit, if Tate Martell has to play a high level game, like these guys are, this line's gonna get beat to a pulp, and he's gonna get beat to a pulp because he just looks like a first year quarterback out there, and that's not a knock on him. But I, I definitely would not feel comfortable at all with Tate Martell running with the first string offense in the middle of Big Ten play. Yeah, I like Tate. I think Tate's going to be good in the future. Um, I'm glad that Dwayne Haskins is the starter. It, it feels like we've we've had to kind of go into this a little bit. Um, last not last week, two weeks ago, Tate had a really good game. Um, I think he was ten for ten. And, yeah, that was Rutgers. That was Rutgers. Yeah, and again, that's Rutgers. Um, I don't think Tate's going to really – they're not going to do the the middle of the second quarter package that they've been doing against bad teams when Ohio State goes to play Penn State. They didn't do it against TCU, and I think that that's for the best. Um, Tate is – Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to see the Tate Martell yeah. eight minutes left <laughs> in the second quarter package in Happy Valley. <laughs> yeah, let's just throw this guy out there. Certainly, uh, certainly he'll be fine. But, yeah, Tate is – he's a redshirt freshman. He's probably – uh, 19 or 20, he's learning. <laughs> he's learning as a quarterback. Um, he has learning to do. He, he's he got to, I think he's got to figure out how to get the ball out of his hand quicker. He's got to, the, the game isn't slowing down for him yet, and that's fine. That's how most 
normal quarterbacks are. I don't think that Dwayne Haskins should be the the bar by which quarterbacks are measured. Um, I think Tate's going to be fine. I'm just not – he's not the starter this season. That's probably for the best. I think that's pretty much all there is on Tate Martell. He's, he's a good runner. He's a good leader. I think he'll be a good starter when he is the starter next year. But um, I'm really glad that Dwayne Haskins is the starter this year. Let's talk about the defense a little bit. Um so I'm looking at the, the defensive stat lines here. Um, three names are, are missing from this list because they didn't make any tackles or, or any plays at all. Uh, Tough Borland, Malik Harrison, and Pete Warner, the starting linebackers. Tough Borland made a play. Tough Borland got stiff arm yeah, right in tough, the face and ate the dirt, Borland man. Got punched tough in the Borland face. didn't make a play, but he was in a play. <laughs> he, he still looks like he's coming back from yeah. – that injury he he doesn't look completely comfortable there were times going back watching the tcu game just here and there where i'd kind of see him explode on a run play and i don't know how much we could take away from the defense in this game like i felt much more comfortable watching the offense like okay these are the things that this offense is going to continue to do this is the identity defensively just with what tulane likes to do I just don't know how much we can say like, oh, this is tangible because that that offense got themselves into second and third and longs and more so than any other offense in offensive style. Like that is the last thing that kind of needs to be happening. So it just felt like we were watching a practice whenever Tulane was on offense. And I still can say, though, I didn't feel great about the linebackers, to your point, about those guys not really standing out. There was a lot of gashes. And I know that Tulane consistently didn't make big plays, but when they did, it was like, whoa, where's the second level? <laughs> like, it's Ohio State's defensive line, and then there's four defensive backs. Like, where are the three dudes in between that? Like, there needs – it was like an Oreo without the filling. So I was I was kind of discouraged about that. I thought the second string dudes were a lot better. Yeah. Justin Hilliard was flying around and made a couple plays. Shout out to Dante Booker. We saw him. It felt like it's been forever since we've seen Dante Booker, and I think he had a sack and at least one other tackle for loss. He made a couple plays. But the the first string guys were really, I think, nowhere to be found. Yeah, I the the second string guys, and we, we've been talking about this for a couple weeks now, about how uh, Justin Hilliard looks like he should be a starting linebacker. I really don't know why he isn't at this point. Um, but he had a good game. Dante Booker had a good game. Um, Keandre Jones came in and had a sack. I, I think that he looked pretty solid. Dallas Gant, who's a true freshman, looked pretty good. He was actually tied for the most tackles in the of the entire defense with four, which isn't super impressive. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'd like to see some of those guys get a chance with the with the starters. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's there's anything to uh, the the fact that a lot of the starters at linebacker are guys that Bill Davis recruited. Um, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder why the older guys who he didn't recruit might not be getting a shot. Guys like Dante Booker and Justin Hilliard, who were here before he showed up. Um, guys like Pete Warner and Tough Borland, who he recruited. Uh, weird, weird how that works. We keep we keep harping on it, Bill Davis. <laughs> Well said. <laughs> Just watching those dudes, though, Hilliard, Booker, and even I, I think Baron Browning with the more with the second string. He had a sack and a, another half tackle for loss. They just looked like they were kind of flying to the ball, mm-hmm. and a lot of the other guys just kind of look like they're reading and reacting 
but their reactions are like after I've had like eight or nine bush lights, like I still feel pretty good and I can react to stuff. Uh, yeah, I got like, this. I can, I can move around, like I can catch stuff, but it's definitely like a little slower. Like if somebody's throwing a football at my face, like I can catch it, but it's getting a little close to my nose. Like we're getting close to a broken nose. And that's what it feels like with these linebackers. Like the reaction is just a little bit slow because we know that they can make plays. We saw the way tough Borland played. We've seen it in fits and stretches with Werner. There's just something something missing. Malik Harrison too, obviously. But I, I would like to see more of, of Hilliard as well. And and we're gonna see a lot this week against Penn State and against an offense that definitely knows Ohio State a lot better than Tulane does. They know what the weaknesses of this defense are and they have players who are talented enough to exploit that, who can shake a guy one on one. You know, with what Penn State can do with Miles Sanders and some of their other skill talent, that'll be a little bit more of a difference. And we'll see if these guys have improved their open field tackling. But we'll get to that Wednesday. Um, I, I thought really there's nothing to take away from the secondary. Yeah. Jordan Full Jordan Fuller was flying around again. He's great. He's the best player in that back seven. Isaiah Pryor had a big hit. Isaiah Pryor had a massive hit on the quarterback. That was very encouraging to see. Not much from the corners. I know Jeff Okuda was involved in a couple plays. The interception that got called back was a nice play. He got beat later in the game, but then made a play downfield after that. So I thought it was nice to see him make a couple plays. But really, it just goes back to the defensive line. We know there was no Nick Bosa, no Robert Landers. Both those dudes were out. But I thought for the most part, playing against a, a tough scheme for defensive linemen to make plays, they look good. Draymond Jones is, is dominant. He They could not block him all game they mm -hmm. look like they focused a lot of their schemes on trying to stop him and just really couldn't uh tyler friday man i don't know if we'll see him against penn state but in that second string ohio state doesn't have a ton of depth at defensive end especially now with bosa out and i'm not sure how long that'll be but tyler friday looks like a guy that maybe by the end of the season is going to be in or the regular rotation because he's got some burst to him and he can mm -hmm. make some plays. Yeah, Tyler Friday is a very, very good athlete. He's a guy who I liked a lot coming out of high school, and I'm not surprised to see him doing so well. Um, yeah, the defensive line looked fine. I, was, I wasn't super worried about them without Nick Bosa. I, I really don't think that there's a ton to take from this game in terms of can they actually replace his production because I don't expect that he'll be good to play against Penn State. But... Um, I think they'll be fine. I'm really not super concerned about this defensive line just in general. And um, they didn't they didn't get beat. They they held their own and they were um, more than enough to to keep Tulane's offense from doing much of anything. I, I think that all of this uh, the the defensive talk, the linebacker talk um, is is you know certainly it's worth talking about. But it's also worth remembering that Tulane scored six points in this game. I mean, it's yeah. it's not a <laughs> it's not a particularly good offense. Um, this is it, it's a pretty it's a pretty solid performance from the defense. Um, I think really the main things are things that we already knew. Um, the linebackers struggle with inexperience. They have experienced guys. Those guys should probably be playing. Um, the defensive line is awesome. Defensive backfield has some questions, but is generally pretty good. I, I think that that's about about all that can really be said about the defense special teams we always like to wrap up the the recap portion with special teams talk kj hill returned the first punt and had a nice mm -hmm. little return and really i think he had another fair catch they brought saunders out and he like tried to juke somebody and got two yards and there really wasn't much 
of it, but at least we saw KJ Hill, and I would assume that Hill will be the guy at Penn State because there was still, whenever anybody else was out there, that thing where like Ohio State's gunners and the punt returner running into each other almost, <laughs> and it just seems like KJ Hill is smart enough to avoid that. Yeah, I don't know how CJ Saunders gets himself into those situations. <laughs> I really don't know what it is about the way that he's fielding punts that makes it so that guys run into him. It's like uh, I would have to ask like a special teams coach if there's a specific thing that he's doing that's causing that because it seems to only happen to him. Um, yeah, I'd like to see more K.J. Hill. I think K.J. Hill is too talented to to not give him touches, and if that means putting him out there on punt return, then that's fine. Um, <clears throat> he's he's not DeMario, but he he will do. Um, I like seeing Johnny Dixon on kick return. I think Johnny Dixon would be fine on kick return. KJ Hill would be fine yeah. on kick return. Paris Campbell would be fine on kick return. They've got plenty of options, and um, it was good to at least see a couple of them used. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing if Paris Campbell can return punts. Um, seems like something he would be able to do, but uh, I, I think he might have actually fielded one, if I remember right. He might have fair caught a, a punt, but I might just be remembering wrong. Um, but this team, we, we've talked about it before. They've got a lot of speed. They've got a lot of talent. They should have someone who's a weapon on punt return, and maybe that guy's K.J. Hill. I don't know. I, I hope that he's the starter at Penn State and they don't just go with um, with C.J. Saunders because um, C.J. Saunders just is not that guy. He's not an electric playmaker, and that's fine. Um, I, I think he is what he is, and he's not a punt returner. Uh, Drew Chrisman had a pretty good day, two punts for 88 yards, 44-yard average. Um, <clears throat> both of them were inside the 20. He's he's good. I, I think that uh, if Ohio State's offense ever has to punt consistently, Drew Chrisman will be able to to do that pretty pretty handily, and that's that's a good asset, even if it's a, a small thing. Somebody who was not on punt return was Demario McCall. We have to talk about him because he made one of Tulane's defenders' ankles into soup. Yeah, he melted a guy. <laughs> yeah, he was he was good. I still think that they don't trust him at all. He's only getting in during blowouts, and we're definitely not going to see him on kick return or punt return <laughs> in Happy Valley against Penn State at night. But maybe as the season goes on, if you know he continues to not fumble the ball, we'll see a little bit more because they are giving him the ball when he's in the game but it just mm -hmm. seems like he's kind of mm -hmm. stuck in whatever role he's in at the moment. Yeah, I like seeing him at running back. He had a pretty good day, four carries, 26 yards, 15 yards was his his long, and it was a pretty nice run. He also had a 35-yard reception. I think it was out of the backfield, but um, it was it was a nice play. He's good. He's, he's talented. I, I think that I can kind of piece together why Ohio State's a little bit uh, afraid to, to give him significant time just from watching him play and – um, I, I think it's kind of there's probably some things going on there that are not public about Demario McCall, perhaps his his attitude in practice, and I, I don't want to imply anything like that or that he um, he just, he's a little reckless, and I think that that's why we love him. But I could also see why Ohio State wouldn't want that. Um, and college coaches are not as as free spirited and fun loving as as us on a podcast are. So yeah, Demario looked good. I was happy for him. He he very nearly had a touchdown. Um, I, I liked him a lot at running back. I I, I think that that was probably a result of Ryan Sneed getting in trouble, uh, which is why he didn't travel to the TCU game last week. There were some um, in-house disciplinary stuff that uh, I know was the the thing that was reported for why Brian Sneed didn't travel with the team, and I'm guessing that was why Demario McCall was the 
the number three running back along with with Master Teague. Uh, we didn't see any Brian Snead in this game, as far as I can tell, that I can remember. But yeah, I, I think Demario is going to keep kind of working his way up, and hopefully he can uh, keep everything locked down off the field and and um, gain some trust. And you know, I think he's a weapon, and I would really like to see him used on the field. Um, I understand where Ohio State's coaching staff is coming from. I, I think that's my main takeaway here. Overall, very good game. Ohio State racks up a bunch of yards, doesn't let Tulane get a bunch of yards, and I think most importantly, they pretty much all stayed healthy. And if anybody got hurt, we haven't really heard anything about it other than Mike Weber, who knows what his status is going forward. It, it seems like he'll play, but I thought that was a big thing, just staying healthy and they looked good enough. I thought that they just kept it really simple. They weren't trying to run up the score. They got the starters out as fast as they could, and they just signed a bunch of different players as the game went on. Yeah, it was, you know, Buckeyes are 4-0. Oh. They're generally pretty healthy heading into the biggest game of the season to this point, Penn State. Um, that's going to be a really tough game, but there's no reason to think that Ohio State won't be in it and that they won't compete. They've, they've looked good. They've looked really good so far. Um, they went back to having penalty issues in this game which was a little bit concerning they had 10 penalties for 89 yards including the one that you mentioned the offsides that that took away an interception for Jeffrey Okuda but um it's hard to get worried about that when the Buckeyes are 4-0 and win in a game 49 to 6 I'm sure that they'll that they'll be able to clean that up like they did for the TCU game and I'm I'm not super worried about it um, the is I think that that's about it for for this game. Do you want to talk about the the rest of the college football landscape on on Saturday and some of the weird stuff that happened? Yeah, what were your what were your biggest thoughts and takeaways from this past week? Kentucky's good at football. It seems. <laughs> I think this is deeply horrifying to me. <laughs> I've always been so out on Mark Stoops. Yeah, and to see them four and zero with back to back wins over Florida and at a top fifteen, not at but against a top fifteen. Mississippi State team is pretty wild. I still am holding out hope that they just lose out for the rest of the year because that would be a very Mark Stoops <laughs> thing to do. Like, this has happened before, not at this level, but it's very plausible that Kentucky Georgia is going to decide the uh, the SEC East. That's the world we're living in. Yeah, Kentucky is the only thing that can save us from two SEC teams in the playoffs. We're again. one game away from Kentucky-Alabama playing in the <laughs> SEC championship game. Yeah, I, I'm deeply confused by Kentucky. They're they're at 15th in Bill Connolly's S&P Plus rankings. Um, Benny Snell is very, very good. Shout out Westerville Central. Uh, Benny Snell is a um, one of the most enjoyable running backs in the country. I think he's a Heisman contender. He's... Um, he's fun to watch. Terry Wilson, the quarterback, is pretty good. Um, I I don't know what to think about Kentucky. I'm I'm uh, I'm worried about Kentucky. I'm not sure if it's it's uh, you know time to tell your kids about undefeated Kentucky like it was with Iowa in 2015, um, but it's approaching that territory if they keep winning. Um, other stuff. Alabama crushed Texas A&M. It, it wasn't. It was kind of close. I think it was close for for most of the first half, and then Alabama scored like 10 points late and in the in the half and pulled away to win 45 23 um georgia i i was kind of underwhelmed by georgia did you get to watch that game at all i was watching it on my chromecast and that felt like a lot like what teams do against alabama where like the main tenant is just like don't do stupid shit (laughs) and missouri did a lot of stupid shit early in the game but they were able to to hang with them and i think that georgia's talent 
just kind of took over in the end. But by no means did I walk away thinking like, oh my God, Georgia's so unbeatable. And it feels like a lot of people have been talking about them that way. I don't think I feel comfortable with Ohio State playing Alabama at this point in time. I would feel super comfortable yeah. with Ohio State <laughs> being able to match up with Georgia and take them man for man yeah. at, at this point. Their defense is really good, but it's just shit like – Bad passes, which Ohio State, I don't think Dwayne Haskins, even though we saw the one interception he threw against Oregon State, we really seen haven't seen him make any stupid throws and stuff like getting the punt blocked that Missouri did for the touchdown. Georgia really just kind of took advantage of mistakes, and that's what you're supposed to do. But at least as of right now, I don't think that Georgia's the juggernaut that a lot of people are making them out to be. Yeah, Missouri had three turnovers. They had the punt blocked, which you, you mentioned. Uh, you can't really beat Georgia like that. They still kept it within 14. Um, I think Ohio State and Alabama are the best two teams in the country at this point. And, um, I think Georgia and Clemson are pretty close, but they're not on that level. Speaking of Clemson, they took care of I business. Pick, I picked Georgia them to Tech. lose. Yeah, I was you wrong, did. Patrick. I yeah. was wrong. I picked Clemson to lose twice this year, and I'm <sighs> going to keep doing it until it happens. I really, looking at the rest of this schedule, um, at Wake is, is interesting. Wake is, their offense is, is pretty decent. I think they just fired their defensive coordinator, so that's not great. Um, NC State comes to town off of a, a Clemson by Duke at the end of the season. I just, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know if Clemson <laughs> can lose a game on this schedule and i don't think that clemson is that good um how dare you disrespect will muschamp like this <laughs> on this podcast how dare you i south carolina stinks that's my official take on south carolina <laughs> but yeah i don't i don't know if clemson can really lose with this schedule which is unfortunate because i don't think they're that good but um, yeah, Trevor Lawrence looked pretty good. The The issue here for Georgia Tech was that they were playing Clemson's defensive line, and they were doing so while running a triple option. That's not going to work. You can't beat Clemson's defensive line with a triple option. Um, you can beat quite a few teams with a triple option, as Army found out, as they very nearly beat Oklahoma on pay-per-view for some reason. Um, I, uh, I had to, to scramble to find a, a stream of that game. Um as I think roughly 23,000 other people did. Uh, and then Army couldn't quite get it done in overtime. Oklahoma ended up surviving. I think they had a linebacker, Kenneth Murray, with like 29 tackles. Um, so that's I, – I don't think that Oklahoma is on the same tier as even Clemson and Georgia. I, I think that Alabama, Ohio State are one tier. Clemson, Georgia, maybe LSU are another tier. And then Oklahoma is on the tier below that. Um, but kind of a surprising game for the Sooners. I, I knew it was going to be closer than people thought, but I, I didn't think they were going to get taken down to the very end like they did. I don't know if I'm allowed to say bad things about Kyler Murray, given my employment status. Go Sooners. <laughs> I have nothing bad to say about you, Kyler Murray. Chase that bag. See you in Oakland next year, buddy. <laughs> Back to Clemson real quick and something else I've noticed. The uh, I had no idea until this morning that Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion and then kicked off their best player on defense after their basically <laughs> that whole <rocks. laughs> their whole like top fifteen from last year. All those defensive dudes are gone. Like there's some weird stuff going on at Virginia Tech, but the ACC for all the talk about how they've built up the depth over the past couple of seasons, the ACC is super not good this yeah. season yeah, outside of Clemson. We'll see what Miami does. 
long term, but they already had that loss against LSU, which wasn't particularly close. Virginia is my squad. I love seeing that they're doing well with Bryce Perkins at quarterback. They're replacing uh, our boy, and they're, they're doing well. I like seeing Bronco Mendenhall building that program up, but the Coastal right now, woof. Yeah, Oof. it's bad. The Atlantic is is not much better. <laughs> yeah, Florida State being bad really hurts the conference, and I, I think that BC will be fine despite getting housed by Purdue. Purdue was which... good. <laughs> that was it. you were you best, called that best three loss team in the country, baby. <laughs> and Syracuse is just like holding on with Eric Dungy and every leap and every hurdle and every headshot that he takes. But overall, I, I'm super not impressed with the uh with the ACC. So we'll we'll see how that goes as they go into ACC play, but Coastal man, yeah, other than bad. Miami, I don't think that there's any team. I know Duke was 22nd, but I don't see anybody of really note in that conference outside of Clemson right now. Yeah, it's it's really really bad. It's a really bad situation that they've got there. Florida State being bad like you mentioned really hurts them a lot. I think Louisville is is just about done this year. I think Bobby Petrino is just about done at Louisville, and um, the Falcons are going to hire him or something. <laughs> um, but just scrolling through the rest of the top 25, LSU looks like they got a little bit scared by Louisiana Tech. I, I didn't check in on that game, but I got a couple LSU friends on Twitter that weren't super happy. I think the game of the day was Stanford-Oregon. Um, Oregon, I, I don't know how they how they lost that game. Because it was it was very nearly going to be 31-7, and uh, there was like a 21-point swing in the span of just a couple minutes in the third quarter. Uh, Stanford come from behind victory. Uh, Justin Herbert, very, very good quarterback for Oregon. I think that uh, for this upcoming NFL draft, he's probably the second-best product uh, behind Dwayne Haskins. Um, Stanford quarterback K.J. Costello looked really good. Stanford's got a lot of really tall receivers. That was my my main take from from that game. But that was I think that was a really fun one. Um, I, I had a lot of fun watching that. I was watching that and watching the the Iowa Wisconsin game at the same time, and it was it was a stark difference between the the action in those two games. But I think my game of the day was was probably Stanford Oregon. That one was that was a really good game. Stanford might mess around and make the playoff, man. Yeah. If they if they're able to beat Washington, they're gonna have the inside track in the Pac-12, and I, I don't foresee really anybody from the South being yeah, able South is terrible. To, to give them a lot of trouble. So Stanford may may have that inside track, but I, I really liked, uh, despite the way they lost, I liked Oregon, and I like where they're going mm-hmm. in the future, and losing Justin Herbert after this season in all likelihood is going to suck, but I think Mario Cristobal's taking them in a, uh, in a different direction. On to LSU, all I'm going to say is anybody that was saying – that this was a quarterback competition between Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow. Send me tweet at Dubs Co. Tweet at Holy Land Pod. DM us your address. I will fly to wherever you are, and I want to fight you, bare knuckles. <laughs> I am going to fight you for ever saying that this was a quarterback competition. And I'm I'm sick of the Joe Burrow thing. I hope he does well, but I, I'm I ain't rooting for Joe Burrow. I ain't rooting for LSU. Yeah, I don't that's, care. That's not how we're giving it up over here. We're not rooting for LSU. And Joe Burrow going 16 of 28 for 191 yards against Louisiana Tech. That uh, that's that's not a part of my life right now. <laughs> yeah, Joe Burrow's fine. I'm sure that that's he'll be fine say. over there. I, I um, I'm kind of sick of of people tweeting like it's Joe Burrow time. Time to watch a guy who has a very small connection to us. <laughs> Yo, I hope Alabama beats the brakes off LSU. I'll say they're that going right to. now. On this I mean, podcast. yeah, they're going to. 
looking through the rest of this, Washington Arizona State was the Pac-12 after tar- after dark game. Um, it was not as close as the score indicated. I can say that as someone who had to write a recap for that game uh, for a different website. Washington looked, man, I don't know, I don't know about this Washington team. Their defense is pretty good. Um, their secondary is is awesome. the The line looked solid. Greg Gaines is a really good defensive lineman. But um, this was one of Jake Browning's better games of the year, and it was 15 of 22 for 200 yards and three touchdowns. That's not great. He's just, I don't know. He, he's decent. He's a pretty good game manager. I don't think Washington is a playoff team. I, I think that they might get into the playoff just from the fact that I think the, the Big 12 is going to kind of cannibalize itself. you know. And, and Oklahoma certainly looked not unbeatable this week and Oklahoma State got crushed by Texas Tech which is just wild to me uh West Virginia's one injury to their quarterback away from being I mean from it being their last win uh whatever game he gets injured in um but Washington if they can beat Stanford they'll probably be in the playoff because you know maybe Oregon can stop them but the Pac-12 is pretty much a three-team league right now um all respect to LaVisca Chenault and Colorado, uh, who we, we respect dearly and um, fear. I think I think I fear LaVisca Chenault. But Washington just doesn't feel like that team. They they don't feel elite. They feel pretty good. This also feels like a team that could get upset in them like a like an October night game. Uh, so I'm I'm not super sure if I'm if I'm sold on the Huskies at this point. Yeah, a lot to still be settled around the country and we'll see as Really, this is going to be the first week of conference play, and we'll see a lot of big matchups. And, of course, we will have all the coverage in the world about Ohio State's Saturday night matchup with Penn State in Happy Valley, and we'll have the uh, the preview episode for that game up here in a couple days. We're going to get out of here on that note. Make sure to visit LandGrantHolyLand.com for all the content that Patrick and I and everybody else on the site puts up there listen to this podcast subscribe on apple Podcasts. go to soundcloud.com slash land grant holy land listen to the why is this news podcast with matt and alexis dropping they're so much Friday. smarter than us <laughs> they're, yeah they're a lot smarter uh they don't talk about clemson losing and they don't talk about purdue all the stupid shit that we talk about they stay away from so Give them a listen, and if you're going to like and subscribe to the podcast, do it for them. Don't do it for us. And you can also leave us a tweet. Follow us on Twitter at HolyLandPod. Patrick's at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, and I am at Dubsco. Are we good there? I think, I think yeah, that wraps Michigan it up. Yeah, Michigan beat Nebraska 56-10. I think that's about it. <laughs> Yo, Nebraska's got a long way to go. I said this on Twitter. Scott Frost is me three, four games into the NCAA 07 dynasty, and I really want to quit. But I'm already like 12 years in, ah, and I have, I have no choice but to just be like, "Yo, I gotta maybe I'll sim a game here and there, but like I just gotta recruit my way out of this one." Nebraska, <laughs> I'm I didn't think that they would be very good, but I'm pretty shocked at how bad they are, and I, it'll get a lot better. But they are super terrible, and Ohio State is gonna feast on those guys, yeah. and I'm gonna love it because. Nebraska. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to end it. Nebraska. (laughs) All right. Until next time, we will talk to you on Wednesday and get you ready for Ohio State's game versus Penn State. Should be a lot of fun. We'll have a hefty preview for that game. But until then, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning, and this is the Hangout in the Holy Land.